You're listening to the Hybrid Cloud Podcast. Hi, this is the Hybrid Cloud Podcast, and this week we're covering the subject of applications and DevOps, and I'm joined by two guests. So first of all, I have Clive McDonald from Sumo Logic. Hi, Clive. Hi, hi. Thanks for having us. Yes, yeah, so let me just make a quick introduction with regards to who I am. So my name is Clive McDonald. I've been with Sumo Logic for about four years, and I'm, I head up sales engineering for EMEA. It's worth just touching on who Sumo are. So founded in 2010, predominantly from a view of providing our customers with cloud-based analytics and machine data analytics in order to provide you know a clear holistic view across a breadth of different sources and across a few salient uh, use cases which we'll talk to today okay thanks Clive also we're joined by Lars Guerin Hakamo hi Lars how are you hi I'm fine thanks uh, a little bit about me so I'm from Puff an online gambling company in the Orland Islands started back in 1966 I've been with the company for 11 years now, currently in the role as a security architect, but also basically getting Puff onto the DevOps train of thoughts. Okay, so before we go any further, let's talk about Puff as a company, because the background of the company is really interesting. I believe that you know, you're owned by the government as such, but you are actually a gambling company, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, as I mentioned, we were founded back in 1966 on the Orland Islands, so it's an autonomous government on the islands, but we still belong to the Finland country as such. So we got the license from uh, our own government on the Orland Islands. And our purpose is to creating profit to support the public good of the island. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. So let's dig into the technology now. And why don't you just give us a bit of background as to why you decided to look at the Simologic technology and for you, what problems it was looking to resolve? It started, um, I would say, two years ago, perhaps. We did quite a big changes inside the organization, got a, a new uh, lead architect on board, starting to consolidate our tooling setup and also getting a better strategy on how to move forward with our current online setup. That's where we stumbled upon Sumo Logic. As I mentioned, we wanted to do a tooling consolidation and we stumbled upon Sumo Logic for providing the log analysis and the metrics data into one tooling, which really sort of ticked all the boxes for us. Okay, now, Clive, from your perspective, you are very much a cloud company, and that, I guess, has been the approach of the company from day one. Can you just give us a bit of a background as to the technology itself, what you offer and, and, what, and how you work with customers, what you do for them, and then we can try and bring the two of you together and see how you work with each other? Yeah, that's great. So, yes, while we were founded, you know, within the cloud, born and bred in the cloud, and that's where our footprint resides, we ultimately made that decision as an organization strategically that we needed to have a platform that was truly elastic in nature in order to provide insights into various different workloads, irrespective of wherever those workloads reside. So, you know, we currently provide that service for over 2,000 customers globally. And, you know, across that customer base, we do that for thousands of individual users. So predominantly around core use cases around security analytics and operational analytics and being able to achieve a level of compliance, irrespective of where your workloads may reside. And when we talk around compliance, obviously there's some geographical challenges with regards to that. 
And we've got a platform that tries to accommodate those challenges accordingly. So really focusing on about, you know, being able to provide analytics at scale, provide it at service, as a service, I should say, and being able to demonstrate that reliability and consistency across those particular use cases that I alluded to earlier. Okay, just one question on that, um, in case anybody isn't really 100% sure what log analysis is. Can you give us an example of what that would mean for a large organization or a small organization, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. It's not a problem. So when we talk about what we call machine data analytics, many people usually go to you know logs being an initial source of data. And we do too, absolutely. But when we talk around machine data, it's really talking around not just logs, time series metrics and events that occur within your environment. Now, we look at that data, i.e. log data or time series metrics or a combination of all of the above as the DNA of any organization, ultimately being able to see and get a perspective at a very, very granular level of your day-to-day environment and events that occur within your environment. That telemetry, i.e. that log data being generated by your platform, whether it be your application, your infrastructure, or a combination of all of the above. And by being able to collect this unstructured data, because this data in more, more often than not is unstructured, by being able to collect that at scale is a challenge in and of itself. And then being able to extract value from the aforementioned data is a challenge in and of itself. And that's something we believe fervently in being able to provide as a service. So removing the need for customers such as PATH or other organizations having to look after a platform, we'll do that for you and provide you with the platform to gain the insights that you want to derive from that data without having to worry about looking after that that underlying platform. Very much akin to the offerings that AWS and, and Microsoft and Google provide from an infrastructure perspective for their customers. Okay, perfect. So Lars, going back to you, what was um, PATH doing before you decided to look at the the Sumo Logic platform. Did you have something as a solution for this? And were you looking to replace it? Or you, were you just simply not doing this at all? We were doing it. Uh, we had an in-house setup of pretty much everything. But it was spread out about across five or six different tools. So, I mean, it was a quite strategic decision, decision that we need to consolidate the tooling and put it into the cloud because, I mean, we could free up our own resources and actually provide business value for the company instead of having to maintain something that it was just sitting in the corner in-house. So that was sort of the main thing. Okay, so it was a replacement of what you had already, but going to the cloud is a bit of a different model than than necessarily, say, consolidating into a, a single tool on-premises. Was there a worry that the cloud might be inherently unsafe, that it might be less secure, or did you go through a process to try and work out whether the cloud was the right place for you or not from you know those sort of aspects? Yeah, um, based on our CDO and the lead architect and the previous security architect, there was an investigation saying that, okay, in order to fulfill our company strategy, we need to go to a known cloud provider. And in our case, it was AWS. And I mean, they are ISO 27001 certified, so we're not worried about that. Of course, they are only securing the the service that they have. Of course, you need to still do the analysis based on the setup that you actually do on them. So, But that's not really any different from doing it in-house. Okay, so from the respect of that, though, I would imagine that to a certain degree, Clive, it would be fair to say that you are doing all of that work on behalf of the client. So is the client expected to understand the aspects of the environment that you're backing this, that you're using to support your solution? Yeah, I mean, to a degree. So... It's worth kind of 
slightly stepping back a little bit and thinking about the cloud, you know, for all the benefits that are espoused around, you know, providing, you know, cloud services for organizations, all of which are demonstrable across a whole breadth of different organizations with regards to the value. You know, most cloud services, whether it's AWS or Google or Azure, you know, they adhere to a shared responsibility model. And one of the challenges we found and the value that, you know, hopefully PATH and a couple of other organizations have found with regards to Sumo is that we can cover the gap where, you know, those cloud service providers, you know, hand over to the customer and, and the customer now has to take responsibility for their platform, their applications, identity management, the operating systems, the containers and so on, and how they deploy these services within that infrastructure. And this is where Sumo Logic actually, we believe, provides value. So being able to have that single source of truth across those different types of environments and allowing organizations such as PATH to be able to get a perspective of their overarching posture, whether that be a compliance, security, or operational posture, irrespective of where that data or telemetry comes from. So obviously, as a company, you've been around for a long time, so you have the potential to have a lot of legacy technology and always be in that process of refresh. Company's been around for almost 53 years. However, it strikes me that one of the things that would be different here is that if you are moving to the cloud, that may be a different approach to what you were used to before. So did that represent a different set of challenges in how you approached using the technology and adopting it, especially, you know, depending on how your separate internal divisions work within the company? Yeah, so our company is basically divided into two parts. So we have the landership and the online business operations. And the biggest difficulty here was to get everybody to work on the same infrastructure and using the same build pipelines, using the same tooling in order to get the business value out from the tooling we had set up. So we started investigating more into using DevOps as the way of working. And over the past year or so, been rolling this out and since it's a cultural change so that's sort of the biggest difficulty in getting people to change basically yeah that i can understand that's hard the idea of saying to people you've now got to operate in a different way is certainly more challenging than it is getting people to adopt different technologies and and you said you've only done that recently that's a new thing for the company to do Yes, it is a new thing, and we're still not done with the transition of it either, and I'm not sure will we ever be. <laughs> but that's a natural, I think that's a natural thing that every company is always in a form of evolution in some form with their technology, and you're always looking to improve. And it does seem to be that today, adopting hybrid cloud and a DevOps-style work process is the way, I guess, people are trying to approach things now. Clive, do you see that with other customers that you deal with from day to day? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, with that cultural shift, because ultimately I think we can all agree DevOps is not really a technology, it's a cultural change as opposed to anything else. One of the marked challenges is around facilitating collaboration, right? So you have different teams all with different levels of expertise, whether it be within the cloud or their legacy infrastructure. And all of these teams need to collaborate around a single pivot point ultimately. So that's one of the first challenges. Another challenge is really just dealing with that speed of change, right? So when you move to, you know, whatever iteration of DevOps culture you've chosen to adopt, the challenge of change, and even if you're successful in your first tranche of change, there's always a 10 or 15 other areas that you can immediately identify and improve upon. So that continual change is something you just have to embrace, right? And ultimately you do that from a cultural basis and then, 
hopefully you can find a technology or technologies that kind of align to your cultural shift. Okay, so how have you worked with the PATH team? You know, how do you sort of approach this to help them with that process? Did you try and help them more than just simply the technology? Because I guess, you know, if a company's coming to you and they're a bit they're unfamiliar, that you almost almost got an upskilling for them to do yourself, haven't you, really? Yeah, I mean, it's a mutual learning expedition, right? So ultimately, yes, I mean, we had adhere to, you know, frequent releases within our product. You know, and we can talk around that until the cows come home. But really, engendering what we do, some of it may, may resonate with other things they may wish to um, initiate and integrate. We learn from, you know, ultimately. And that learning process is something that we try to embrace. So with regards to PATH, you know, one of my engineers went forward with some specific suggestions with regards to our own personal experiences. And, you know, we hopefully help them with some tooling that kind of help them gain a degree of visibility around that. And then we would actively take feedback from, you know, our customers such as PATH with regards to how we can better service that particular requirement or requirements. One last thing is that as a service, I think it's not a flippant thing to say is that, you know, we're up for re-election every month, every year, or maybe every three years, but ultimately we're a service. It's easy for customers to chop and change and migrate from one service to another. Long gone are the days of perpetual enterprise licenses where you were locked into a bit of a handcuff of an arrangement with technology. And we're mindful of that. So what we try to do is first and foremost, get the customer up and ready and onboarded and being able to extract value from our platform as quickly as possible but continually engage with the customer throughout the life cycle of the deployment. Okay, that sounds in- that's really interesting. So one of the things I think that you've made me think about there, which is really quite an interesting angle, is to think that that idea of always being up for re-election. Now, Lars, I don't know whether that was part of your strategy and your planning and thinking of going with a, a service, but I think that's quite an interesting angle that depending on how you consume services, you could look at it and say that, a vendor like Sumo Logic is continually having to meet your requirements. Otherwise, it's, you know, you could quite easily move somewhere else if you really wanted to. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And if you look at other tools we have used, I mean, they haven't passed the criteria that we have. I mean, we've continuously raised the bar due to how our company operates. I mean, we have working on several regulated markets where we need to be on top of the compliance parts continuously. And the other tools that we had, they basically didn't cut it. So, And did you find, as you were making that selection process and going about that, that there were things that, when you looked at a SaaS model or even a hybrid model, simply couldn't be achieved if you'd simply bought another off-the-shelf product you ran locally? You know, Would it have been, for example, simply just too much effort? Would you have needed too many people? Would you have been able to not innovate fast enough? I'm just trying to think of some of the things that either running as a service or in hybrid would actually be a sort of like a value add that you wouldn't get otherwise. There's definitely an, a value added to it because we don't need to maintain it. We don't need to follow vulnerability updates. We don't need to apply new product updates every month or every second week. I mean, as Clive mentioned, we, they're also doing a, sort of a DevOps and continuous delivery model always pushing out new features for us and if we would have done that on our in-house setup we would have been in a constant maintenance mode of that product instead and we don't want to be that i mean we just want to use it out of the box 
Yeah, I can entirely see that whole maintenance thing. And you look at some platforms that pick OpenStack as an example, the turnover on releasing OpenStack releases, if you were really using that for real, you would definitely need armies of people. And I guess by using the service the way you're doing, it takes away that need to have those people, but probably more relevant. And you can talk to this, Clive, I guess, about how fast you're doing it. You can innovate a lot more quickly with new features and functionality because you get, I guess, more direct feedback from the market. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I say, I don't think we can overestimate this particular point, and that's we embrace the fact that we're continually learning. So, and this is my own personal view, two years ago, three years ago, you know, the talk was quite rife around containers and actually containers moving into production within organizations. That's been proven out in under 18 months, ultimately. And, you know, we can't look in any, um, you know, high tea publication without, you know, seeing various different offerings and discussions around containers. And that really talks to the trajectory of change and speed of change. And that's only going to increase. But that change increase is not reflected in the amount of bums you have on seats and the individuals you have to address the technologies and the various different challenges that ensue from those technologies. So providing services, you know, Sumo providing a true machine data analytics service, or whether it be infrastructure as a service provided by the AWSs and the uh, Microsofts of this world, that trend is going to continue. And commoditizing or certainly encapsulating various different requirements for customers and simplifying those requirements as much as possible is really the direction of the market as a whole. So ultimately providing you know various different functions and features without having to adhere to a change process and just having those features immediately available to you as a customer is going to be the norm. Right now, we're the exception, but that's going to be the norm. And that's going to be continually you know, built upon and, and moved forward. So if you embrace that, then I think there's an opportunity for everybody. And not embracing that is just really not really an option anymore. Okay. Now, everything you said so far is really positive. Says to me, like we all, I guess, expect that adopting a SaaS model, a hybrid model, and effectively, to a certain degree, outsourcing some of the functionality you need to a service provider like yourselves makes sense. However, there must have been, and I'm going to ask you this question, Lars, because obviously you're the, if like the customer in this scenario, there must have been some things that came up that made you think, this is a different challenge to the way we would do it normally. There is a problem we have to address here in order to adopt the technology. What issues did you find that you either you had to change your way of thinking, or maybe that were just not possible to do the way you would have liked to have done because it was a service-based model? I think the main concern was about not being able to have control. <laughs> yeah, Because, uh, <laughs> I mean, you can't SSH into a box somewhere and tweak around and I got it working again. That was probably the, the biggest one. But we had already at that time moved certain services into AWS. And I mean, now we're running uh, Docker containers on ECS on Fargate and you can't SSH even into those anymore. So it's sort of everything sort of came together around the same time. So we had already some experience with it and we sort of realized that, okay, we actually don't need to SSH into any box and, and do anything because there is no need for it. Absolutely. But you've highlighted a very interesting fact, though, and that's as technologists, we all like control. 
we all like to fiddle and to mess about with the knobs and we like to turn stuff. And to a certain degree, we, we almost need handcuffs on ourselves to get ourselves out of that mentality because going forward, we just simply won't have that facility. Yeah, very much so. I will say on, on my side of the fence, you know, I wasn't always a, <laughs> a jaded technical sales individual. I also sat on the other side of the fence as well. And um, it goes back to that cultural change, right? So, you know, we all, you know, grew up or developed our skills through our technical acumen and that degree of control. But I think as things become more complex, so if you look at containerization or serverless computing, I think that level of control shifts. It shifts from being able to SSH into a box. It shifts to being able to understand where your resiliency or where your workloads are actually working because the complex interchanged and interconnected systems that we're talking to have a level of complexity that needs to be controlled, but just in a different place and in a different way. Yeah. So what else would you say, Lars, then apart from what we've just said and obviously following up from what Clive just said, were there any other issues that you think are worth bringing up or any other experiences? Because I think ultimately you've done something that many customers may be thinking about doing themselves. And that's, you've also moved to public cloud as well as started to use SaaS services. So are there any other things that you think that would be worth bringing up for customers? To keep focus on what you actually want to achieve and not try out every shiny new technology out there. Because in the end, you need to provide business value for your company. So just stay focused. And how did you manage to stay focused in terms of your selection? Did you narrow it down through a, a separate process? Or were you already aware of Sumo Logic as a company out there? We went through a list of five or six different companies, just trying them out and did proof of concepts with almost all of them. Right. And I guess that's an easier process to do than it would have been if you were installing a piece of software, because simply by its very nature, trying a service out is an easier process. Definitely. I mean, you just point where to send your logs and you're done. <laughs> so Yeah, absolutely. So from your perspective, Clive, though, that represents another interesting challenge, and that's you need to make sure that your proof of concept with that customer is good enough because you don't want to have them try your service and find that there was something they didn't like or there was something that weren't comfortable with because they can very quickly just say, well, we'll find somebody else. It's very true, and that's an ongoing problem from us and many other organizations. Having the technology and the environment available to be used extensively, you know, just at the click of a button provides some significant challenges in and of itself. So not being able to demonstrate value very quickly without having a hands-on dynamic rapport with the end user is a challenge, right? And it's something that we're trying to address through a whole raft of different mechanisms, but it's an ongoing challenge. But it's a, in a way, it's a good one to have, you know, being able to demonstrate value quickly is an ever-moving target quickly is, is a bit of a nebulous term. One person's quick is another person's too slow. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, as we come to the end of our time, we'll wrap up here. Lars, I'd just like to ask you sort of, you know, as a final comment, where are you focusing on now going forward using cloud technology? What's it you're finding exciting or, or what do you think is going to be the next, I guess, the next area where we're going to be focusing on or even where you're going to be focusing on? I would say multi-cloud, putting all your eggs into one basket is never good. So having a failover to a completely different cloud provider would be the next big thing, of, let's see, next year. And that's a huge challenge, actually, because standards are different, operational processes are different, security models are different. You're giving yourself quite, and I can understand why people would do it, but you, it is potentially quite a big change to make for people. 
Very much, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe we'll have a, a follow-up discussion. You can tell us how you get on with that. So from your perspective, Clive, where do you think you're going to, you know, where do you see things going? What's your interest in the next sort of 12 months about the way the, the cloud will develop? The cloud has, well, you have to kind of, it's like saying, where's IT going? <laughs> but certainly the cloud and with regards to multi-cloud, I'm seeing this more and more. So I can certainly say that, you know, customers will cut their teeth on cloud offerings and they'll, they'll focus around one technology provider or another. Once they've got a certain control and experience with that entity, they more often than not will start looking at multi-cloud technology, so possibly going to a secondary or even a tertiary provider. And yes, there are challenges there, but I think a lot of organizations have been burnt in the 80s and the 90s around being handcuffed to particular large vendors. And they actively seeking to not, you know, repeat the mistakes of the past. So they'll look at, understandably, moving down a multi-cloud path. And yes, with that comes significant challenges, but some significant opportunities. So, um, you know, the abstraction in relation to containerization and serverless functions, having workloads, you know, deployed across different cloud platforms is a quite, you know, attractive scenario to kind of aim for. And certainly from a purely selfish perspective, from Sumo's perspective, it talks to some of our benefits and abilities. And we'll be doubling down on providing that to our customers going forward as well. Okay, well, thanks for joining me, guys. Really appreciate your time. If anybody wants to find out more about where Sumo Logic are and what they do, Clive, where, where should they go? Well, first port of call will be uh, sumologic.com. We've also got a YouTube channel, which has huge amounts of video content. So just search for Sumo Logic in YouTube, and you'll see a huge amount of content there. And then Twitter and the normal other social media platforms, you'll certainly find Sumo with a presence there. Okay. And Lars, from your perspective, is PAF customer-facing in that sense? Is there something that our listeners could go and look at from your perspective? Yeah, so the online gaming site is at uh, puff.com. Uh, although, as we are responsible, we might be blocking your country. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, otherwise, uh, regarding the company information, it's aboutpuff.com. Wonderful. Which should be available. Okay, great. Right. Thanks again, guys, for joining me and um, catch up soon. You've been listening to the Hybrid Cloud Podcast from Architecting IT. For show notes and more, subscribe at hybridcloudpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Architecting IT or join our LinkedIn group by searching for Architecting IT. You can find us on all good podcatchers, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.